Hey friends, welcome to the Declare Podcast. I'm your host, Ann Watson. I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are talking about book publishing. It's kind of a theme that we're on, and I cannot wait for you to hear from our guest. But if you're joining us for the first time, I need you to know that Declare is a ministry for women who are writers, speakers, and podcasters. This is where we gather. Our team, our conference hosts, our ministry hosts, as we call ourselves, we're dedicated to equipping, growing, and connecting Christian communicators. So if you want more information about who we are, what we do, check out our website at wearedeclare.com. And you're going to find more information there too about the annual conference, our online classes, local meetups, and more. And you can get connected today through our amazing Facebook page. I mean, that is one heck of a group of women. We are coming up on our annual conference. It'll be this October. And the theme this year is warrior. We're talking about taking a stand against the enemy so that we can accomplish the good works that God has in mind for us to do. So if you've ever felt frustrated or attacked or discouraged when you're trying to be obedient to the Lord, then don't miss Declare, ladies. We're going to be in Dallas October 4th through the 6th, and we have a pre-conference option with 90-minute lab sessions for anybody who's ready to dig a little bit deeper. So go ahead and get your ticket, head over to the website, buy one for your girlfriend, a writer friend that you know, it makes a great gift, and uh, we will see you in Dallas in October. Are you interested in connecting with our community of social influencers with your ministry or your business, your service, even your new book? Are you launching a book? We have sponsorship opportunities for this podcast, our webinars, our connect events, and the conference itself. There's tons of different options and you can find out about which one is right for you if you just send an email to info at wearedeclare.com. And we're really looking forward to working with you on that. If you are a writer, can I ask you to write something? Please take a minute and write us a review on iTunes. Your review helps other women find us and you might even hear it mentioned on this podcast. For example, Mrs. H. Hopped, I think I'm saying that correctly, recently wrote that this is a great source of encouragement for those of us who are speakers and bloggers because they continually point us back to why we are doing what we're doing and encourage us to step forward boldly into what God has called each of us as women to do. Thank you so much for that, friend. You are the reason that we do this. In our last episode, I talked with Kara Leonino. Kara is an acquisitions editor for Tyndale Momentum, and we talked all about what happens when writers like you and me go into a publishing appointment at a conference like Declare. Kara gave some great insight as to what publishers are actually looking for, what you should expect, why you need to ask questions, and how to calm your out-of-control nerves right before you go in. If you have ever pitched a book idea, or you're planning to, you're going to want to listen to this. Also, Kara's going to be joining us at Declare this year, so if you want to take this info out for a test drive, sign up for an appointment with her. That is our 80th episode, so go ahead and add that to your queue. But today we're on episode 81 with Javon Bolden. Javon is a former acquisitions editor for a major publishing house, and I'm so excited for you to listen in on this. She was doing traditional publishing for over 15 years before she started her own consulting business, which means you can get access to her now. She is all about helping writers get published. Today, we talk about the secret to a great proposal, how the most important thing that you write might be the hardest thing, getting rid of the stigma of self-publishing, and why you should never be afraid to be edited. She also has a really great story about how the classes that she skipped in high school led to her career now. Y'all, erase what you thought you knew and listen in as Javon shares some serious wisdom that's going to change your life. I know you're ready to dive in, so let's go ahead and get started with our conversation with Javon Bolden. Hi, Javon. Welcome to the Declare Podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. 
Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to talk to you today because we have been talking actually about publishing and editing and all that stuff. And that is kind of your area of expertise, which we will get into. But I was hoping that maybe you could take just a minute and introduce yourself to our community. You're going to be a speaker at Declare this fall. Let's let them get to know you. Tell us a little bit about who you are, your family, what you do, and maybe a little bit about your story. Sure. My name is Javon Bolden, and I am currently running my own publishing, consulting, ghostwriting, editing, agenting company uh, after spending almost 15 years in traditional publishing as an acquisitions editor. And I'm excited to be coming to Declare to talk with authors and aspiring authors about getting published and what it takes to stand out. I have had the opportunity to serve in both nonfiction adult Christian publishing as well as nonfiction children's publishing through Scholastic. And so I'm grateful that I have a wide variety of experience with uh, different audiences, different target audiences, as well as different topics. So I'm looking forward to giving tips on how to stand out in any number of genres and, you know, reaching your target audience. I am married. I have uh, married for almost, well, it'd be 20 years this year. Oh, congratulations. Yes. Got married on July 4th. And so we're looking forward to 20 years and have two children. Autumn is 15 and Austin is 12. They should be joining me at the conference as well. So some of you may see Autumn, especially kind of hanging around with me. Um, she's she's awesome. And so is Austin. Everybody's awesome. Well, that's so great. We love that <laughs> when, especially when young people, you know, get started with potentially writing. Are they writers or speakers at all? No, no. So they are artistic and they're interested. Well, my daughter is. My son is definitely the more logical, organized, you know, um, straightforward thinker. He does that sort of creatively that, you know, you can be creative in linear thinking as well, which is interesting. But my daughter is definitely the artsy person. She's in theater and, you know, she sings and and all that. So um, and and draws and paints and all that. So she's definitely the artist in the family. Okay, well, that's really great. So tell us, though, how did you get started with editing like you? didn't necessarily begin on this career path. How did that happen for you? (laughs) I didn't. So I grew up in a community of well-educated, really up-and-coming African-American community. And there are certain things, I think some of my, um, a lot of people will understand what I'm saying as I say this, but there are just certain things you're going to do when you grow up. And so you know, I want within those options, I wanted to at least do something that I was good at and may be able to make a lot of money. You know, this is my thinking as a young person. I, I just didn't really know. I think that's how all young people think. You're <laughs> yeah, good. Like, You're okay, good. Yeah. Let me do this. And I don't know. So I started off wanting to be a neurosurgeon. And so I started in all of my high school was, you know, I was in advanced classes and everything. Went to college, pre-med, biology major full science and math load. It was crazy. And, you know, I didn't do poorly at it. I just, after a while, I just started to think like, is this really what I want? Because pretty much neurosurgery is very time consuming and it takes a number of years to reach that specialty. 
And not only did I think about that and the time that it would take, but I also thought about, am I really going to love this? Somewhere along the line with the expectations, something, I'm believing it was God, said, well, do you love it? And I didn't. And so I said, well, what, what do I love? You know, I had to stop and think about that. And when I thought about the classes that I did not skip in high school my senior year, it was English. <laughs> I, <love laughs> I had to say, oh my gosh. what did I sit myself down to, you know, what did I endure? The classes I did not skip as a career yeah, path yeah. determiner. <laughs> yes. I love hey, it. Because that's what you know that you'll endure through the good stuff and the bad stuff. So I love it. That's it was great. English. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually switched everything. Once I said, you know what, it's English. That's who I am. Words, reading, literature, communication, philosophy, deep thinking. It also involves culture and diversity and, you know, different ways of expressing things from around the world. You know, a lot of the perspective that we get, especially as Americans, comes from a Western uh, mindset. However, with literature, you're sort of taken on a journey a little bit around the world. It's almost like a survey, especially in your undergrad. And so it was just intriguing to me. So I ended up transferring schools, changing my major and my minor. So I ended up going to the University of Alabama and uh, majoring in English and minoring in sociology. And it's just, since then, it's just been fabulous. And I just really have enjoyed it tremendously. The sociology aspect of it um, has really boosted my ability to analyze content and to really help make sure that it reaches the right audience. It communicates statistics well and accurately. And then so when I graduated from college, I wasn't sure exactly what I could do with an English degree, but I did some research and I discovered that it could be a copy editor, copywriter, or an editor, especially in magazines. I really didn't even have any idea how I would get into book publishing. So I applied to every job that seemed to fit an entry-level English degree person. So maybe it was like 30 jobs. I actually had a spreadsheet and everything this is back in 2003. And so I made a spreadsheet and a list and checking off this and I can be that person, the list person. I love Um, it. I'm all about some lists. Yeah. Even while being creative, I still can have this very A-type thing going on. So anyway, one job out of the 30 called me back and I scheduled a phone interview and that was Charisma Media in Lake Mary, Florida. And I quickly moved through their interview process and was offered a job as a copy editor in Florida. So I moved from Huntsville, Alabama to Florida. And since then, have been in book publishing and since 2003 have been in book publishing. And you never looked back? Have not looked back. Haven't even thought about anything else, except I will say, perhaps later uh, in later years, I might want to be a college professor. Ooh, that sounds fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Well, so much of your story intrigues me. I'm so interested because, I mean, you had a major mindset shift from neurosurgery to literature, which, I mean, I think is such a great thing, but I think there's so many people that feel like you feel, but maybe don't have the courage to pull the trigger like you did. I mean, I imagine you've probably already told everybody you were going to be a neurosurgeon and then you had to kind of untell everybody. (laughs) That's pretty brave. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't actually, you know, my family is so supportive and I'm the type of person who values my inner circle, what they think more so than I worry about what other people think. Uh, I know that can be difficult for people generally speaking, but 
you know, at the end of the day, nobody is living my life but me, you know, and I'm the one who has to answer to God with what I did with what he gave me. Um, And that matters to me very much that he will be able to say, well done. So I told my family initially, and really they were, like I said, they were the only ones who mattered to me at that point, because I was like, you know, I'm not doing this for anybody else. And so they were so supportive. It wasn't until years later that my dad, what did he say? Uh, I didn't tell you at the time, but I was kind of disappointed that you weren't going to be a doctor. Oh, like, no. I wasn't going to be able to tell anybody that you were going to be a doctor. But he's also communicated that, you know, I did with what I had more than what he expected. And he's very proud. I didn't feel bad about what he had said, but I thought it was funny because he was so careful to stay encouraging to me and to make sure I landed uh, on my feet and that I, you know, had a level of confidence and competency, I think, before he even shared his inner feelings about, you know, my changing my career path. So I'm still very grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the honesty, you know, that he shared with me. That was important. That is such a gift to have an inner circle, like you said, that supports you and encourages you, even if they're not sure of the direction that you're on, the path that you're taking. I mean, I have heard of women, myself included, who hear more negative messages about their dreams. And that just Mm -hmm. makes them so much harder to pursue. So what a gift it is that you had such a supportive inner circle. Yes, yes. I think that's really the key, especially, you know, even as we're kind of getting to the writing discussion, writers need to have an inner circle. Writing is very difficult. Uh, There's all kinds of things said about writing. Oh, well, if it's supposed to be written, it'll just flow. And those are some myths, Um, because some of the most important writing can be some of your most difficult things to get out onto paper. And sometimes you'll have to wrestle with your emotions and all kinds of things. And then you even have to wrestle with the stereotype of what a writer is. Some people think that writers don't make money. Some people think writers do make money. You know, there's so many things that you're kind of battling with the outside world that it is really important for writers to even have that close inner circle who will understand, you know, your your ups and downs. Writers can be pretty emotional because of what we're dealing with. And sometimes the alone time that we need can be difficult So it's very important to be surrounded by people who understand your creative nature and the things that you need to to nurture that. Of course, everyday people, we should have our own inner circle. But I, I just think people who are creating things should definitely have that because it's an isolated world in your it's an isolated inner world. And sometimes you need that exterior support to be very strong. I could not agree with you more. And in fact, that's one of the things that we value so highly at Declare is Mm -hmm. that community. And we've got a really active online community on our Facebook page. And we try to get together with quarterly connect meetings so that we've got some face to face time. But then Mm -hmm. our conference, our favorite thing about that is being face to face present with other women in the trenches who are going to support and encourage you. Yes. So I just, we could not agree with that more. You're going to love Declare. We cannot wait for you to come. But we can talk about that all day. I want (laughs) to get to some of the dirt. So (laughs) (laughs) let let me see if I can find some. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so you talk about on your website, the secret to a great proposal. So let's just cut Mm -hmm. to the chase. Spill Mm -hmm. it. What is the secret to a great proposal? One of the things, well, that particular piece is talking about really being sure to let yourself shine in your proposal. 
but also making sure that it's presented in a way that the publisher or the agent is seeing that you're paying attention to the marketplace and their needs as uh, organization. The book proposal, so I'll just say this, a book proposal is basically a summary of who you are and what your book is about and who you're hoping to reach and how you're hoping to reach them. And that is usually presented to a literary agent or a book publisher. And so when reading these, we can, you know, acquisitions editors will read them at the publishing house. And of course, the literary agent will read it at their own agency. But as we're reading them, we immediately can tell if this person cares enough, cares enough about their own career and cares enough about who they're querying just by the way that they present themselves in the topic in their book proposal. I've had book proposals that are just, you know, so strange um, where (laughs) people are so themselves or maybe trying to be something that, you know, I want to be so shocking or I want to be so unique and so different. And sometimes when you're so far on that end of things, you're a turnoff and it gets really kind of like, oh my gosh, this is kind of scary. Then on the other end, you know, people can be so vague or so uninteresting that we don't get a feel for who they are. So there's a happy medium there where you're kind of letting some of your personality show, but you're also being very professional and you're also paying attention to the requirements that the publisher or the agent need in the book proposal. So in other words, you're not going to pitch a children's picture book to maybe I'll just use the publisher I worked for previously, um, Charisma Media or Charisma Book Group. They don't publish children's books. So you wouldn't do that. So it's important to pay attention to that. I've had where the author will say, well, I still, I just believe that this is how it's, you know, I, you are supposed to publish this and that's what God told me. And, you know, it's like, well, you know, God is speaking to us as well. And that's not what we're doing right now. So, you know, so it gets kind of funny. Uh, sorry, I'm just laughing because that sounds so presumptuous. You'd be like, um, could you forward that memo you got from God to us? Because oh, we didn't get it. It's so interesting. I've had some of the most interesting things people tell. Oh, man. Some person, one person told me to, um, I was trying to tell them that what they had is not something I was looking for. And they just wanted me to be quiet and just um, read their stuff anyway. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. Um, and I've had people, you know, say, well, God told me this or God told me that and there, you shouldn't be changing anything, you know, don't change anything. But then I'll be honest, most of the time, um, the people who are published usually have fantastic attitudes. They understand what a partnership between the publisher and themselves is like or between the agent and between the editor and them. And that's so important, that chemistry and that partnership and understanding that together we're going to create the book that you know you're supposed to publish. And I think that's where, when you can understand other people's gifts and understand that, you know, there are talents and insights outside of your own that actually can benefit you, that's a great, you know, mindset to have as you're entering the publishing industry. And as you're presenting your proposal, even the rejections are valuable. They're hugely valuable because that means just go back to the drawing board and, you know, see what you need to tweak and continue to move forward. It definitely takes lots of persistence as well. Well, it's interesting because I'm just thinking about the book writing process and from idea to proposal to editor to publisher. I mean, really, Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where it's like a miracle that any book gets published because there's so many pieces. Yes, you are very right. 
I would say that there's traditional publishing is pretty tight. And at the time I was an acquisitions editor, we may have accepted about 30 to 40 percent of the book proposals submitted to us. And that's actually a pretty high number, believe it or not. But there are also lots of opportunities to publish, too. Traditional publishing is not the only way to be published. And once you are well-informed about what the traditional book publishing industry is looking for, you can still make a decision to say, well, you know, I think I want to go this way with it. And there are so many wonderful avenues to still create a high-quality, engaging book product for the audience that you're intending to reach. You know, some people are thinking that every book that comes out, including their own, and even if it's their first book, they, oh, I I have to get New York Times bestseller. No, you don't. You know, you really need to match what you're doing to the mission that you have. Um, It's not always about New York Times bestseller. Sometimes it's about reaching that one person who, you know, needs a a word of encouragement or needs some inspiration or needs a how-to or needs a laugh, you know, or needs a, a little bit of an escape from reality. <laughs> you know, there's lots of ways to look at success in the book publishing industry. And I think sometimes when we get caught up on one look, we can get very discouraged when we're not reaching that. So you bring up an interesting point because you talked, I think, a little bit about self-publishing there, right? Is that what you were kind I of did. referring to? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's interesting to me to hear somebody with a traditional publishing background saying that self-publishing is a valid alternative. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about why you think that is and then the cost associated with that. Like, what should people expect when they go that route? Okay. Very good question. I say, as a person with a traditional publishing background, I say that self-publishing is viable Because I am a person who thinks outside the box, I believe that anything is possible for the most part, especially when you invest in yourself and you do things with excellence. Self-publishing, obviously, that's anybody putting out whatever they want to, using whatever services they want to or not, and just doing whatever. However, if you're a person who understands what it means to really reach people and you're looking at really making an impact through a passion that you have or through a a concern that you have for our culture or society, you can do things very well. There are many contractors or freelancers who were in traditional publishing who do an excellent job of editing, who do an excellent job of ghostwriting, who do an excellent job of book cover designing. Pretty much anything you need to get done can be done at a very high level. And there are authors who self-publish, even Stephen King self-publishes sometimes. You know, there's several that um, Dave Ramsey, I believe, self-published. Lots of people are self-publishing when they can because publishers are not accepting everything, you know, and there's certain uh, criteria. And sometimes it's just hard to break in. And sometimes publishers are slow to move with what's happening in our everyday world. They have big machines, big processes, big plans and strategies sometimes are hard to move and adjust to what's happening in our culture. And sometimes authors and writers get a sense for what's happening now and need to say what needs to be said now versus waiting the 12 to 18 months that it takes to get a book published. 
That's so interesting. I love that perspective because I think that sometimes there is a stigma associated with self-publishing. Yes. Uh, Can you talk about that? I mean, talk about why we shouldn't have that stigma. So let me say, I think that the, the stigma is there is because there are people who publish poor quality books, period. They write off the top of their head. They're not really putting effort into their communication style, their tone, their voice. They're not thinking about who they're writing for. They're really writing for themselves. And publishing and writing, to me, this is my philosophy, is really a selfless type of work. It's something that you're giving to others. It's a generous work. And I think if you think of it that way and you're working for your readers, because they're the ones that really help your career go, your readers. Um, But a lot of times people are saying, you know, I want to publish because this is what I want to do. I want to tell people this and I think people need to know this versus getting a sense for people's needs. And that's really what a target audience is about. And that's, we talked uh, at the beginning about another blog article that I wrote about felt needs. And really felt needs is really about discovering what your audience needs based on what you're passionate and good at. You know, um, those two have to come together. But the stigma comes from, like I said, poorly published books where none of that is really considered you know, the grammar is all over the place. The writing is all over the place. The book cover is not really well thought out. You know, the publishing plan, you know, is sort of not even there, non-existent. And so that's the majority of self-published books. But there is so much room for high quality self-publishing to happen. And I do participate in that on a regular basis with several authors who do outstanding work, self-published work. So it is possible. You can get marketing consulting, you can get PR consulting, you can get social media advice and consulting. So the um, put it this way, as an independent author, you can publish like a traditional publisher. You will have to employ the right dream team is what I call them. And you will have to invest. And you asked me about the price. It's just about as almost as much as what a publisher would invest in your book. You would have to invest in yourself. Editing can be, and it really depends on word count and topic, but, you know, editing can be a couple thousand dollars. Book cover design can be a few hundred dollars. It can get pricey. It just depends on what you want to do and what's, I would say, you know, there are certain things that you don't want to bypass. And I would think that would be book cover design and editing. You don't want to bypass those two things. But some of the other things you may be able to figure out, you know, how to do yourself and And some people can design their own covers, you know, if you want to keep it simple, you know, there's all kinds of ways to make it happen. Well, that's great. And I know that there are some people out there that have gone the self-publishing route and then been approached by the traditional publishing houses for follow-up books. Yes, that does happen. And if you think about one of the most runaway self-publishing hits, of course, was um, The Shack. And that reached, uh, I think that reached a million uh, in sales before it was even contracted for traditional publishing. So it was self-published first. See, I didn't know that. I had no idea yeah. that was a self-publish. It was self-published first, then it was picked up by a traditional publisher, and then it became a movie. Of course, that's a rare path. But yes, publishers, depending on the topic and the energy behind the book, they can pick up a self-published book and take it on and make it and, and traditionally publish it. So, yeah, there is that, definitely. But also, if you you can use your self-published book as a way to boost your platform. I'll talk a lot about platform at the conference because that's really about, that's where you stand out. But it can help 
you know, boost your platform, get speaking engagements and that kind of thing. And publishers can see the energy from that and they will reach out to you and try to talk with you about another book idea. That is correct. I love it. And I want to actually switch gears on you a little bit because Mm -hmm. you actually are like a writer's best friend. I mean, the services that you offer, because you've been in this world, you know, self-publishing and traditional publishing, you offer a lot of services on your site, like ghostwriting and editing and talking through a book concept and all those kind of things, which tells me that somewhere along the way, you noticed a gap and you wanted to create something to fill that gap. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I appreciate (laughs) when you're in, and I think you're going to understand this and uh, all those who are kind of listening in, sometimes you're doing stuff and you don't really think about anything except doing it or answering something. Because I'll be honest, I didn't think about filling a gap. Okay. I just, (laughs) but it doesn't mean that there, apparently there was one, but you know, there was such a pull I'm grateful and fortunate to have experienced so much. And I, I love publishing so much. And so I can easily see great book ideas uh, when presented a bunch of content. Um, I can look at an author's website or I can follow, you know, their speaking engagements or I can kind of look at their Facebook page and kind of help them think about a book concept. You know, I can listen to a series of teachings or anything like that and and develop book concepts. And I'm grateful for that. I'm also grateful to be both an editor and a writer, which is not always common. I do ghostwriting. I do regular writing. And I also do edit books. My strength is definitely substantive editing. Even though I started as a copy editor and did well at that, copy editing is grammar, style, punctuation, readability, making sure things make sense at the sentence level and the paragraph level. Uh, Substantive editing is a larger, bigger picture, making sure that the overall concept is flowing well and things are logical and really helping make sure there are no gaps in the thought process. Sometimes people are writing and not realizing that a person reading it might not understand what they're saying, you know, so substantive editing helps with that. But yeah, I do all of that. And I'm grateful for the demand. So I just started my company last year. I registered and everything for my articles of incorporation in March and um, actually did not launch full time into it until November last year. And I literally had to make a choice whether or not I was going to keep working full time or pursue this, my company full time. It literally just took over and I had to let the full-time position go. And I guess in hindsight, I can see that there was a gap and people really just need that handholding sometimes, you know, or they need to just have that personal relationship and know that somebody is really on their side versus the publisher side. Um, One of the things that acquisitions editors usually have to balance is the fact that they work for a publisher. Editors are are naturally geared towards supporting the author. You know, we love our authors. We love the work that they do. We value them. But then there's the part where we have to honor the publisher and what the policies are, what the stipulations and strategies are concerning the publisher. I don't have that tie anymore. You know, I am for the author. Now, I will give advice based on what I understand in my experience. So sometimes they may feel like 
oh, well, that's not what I, you know, that's not what I wanted to hear. But it's because I want to make sure that they're successful. And it's because I care about their trajectory and, and where they land once they publish their book. So I do offer, you know, insights that sometimes are not exactly always what people want to hear. But, you know, that's about the partnership and really that pull to be excellent. But see, what I think is so great about that is I have been to tons of different conferences, writers conferences and whatnot. And I think that there's this, I see a gap because people will have a great book idea and they've taken classes on how to do a proposal and, you know, how to pitch it, whatever that is. But sometimes I think somebody has a great book idea and they just need to like flush it out with somebody. They need to bounce it off someone and help it shape and form And I see that as something that you're offering that is unique and so, so desperately needed. Okay. I have always done it. Even when I worked in-house, you know, you could probably talk with any of my authors that I've served in the past and they would probably tell you that I, I will get on the phone and talk with you about it. You know, I will talk with you about the idea and I appreciate you saying that. That's very important to know. But yes, I do offer that. Um, I offer consulting by phone and I, you know, I do manuscript critiques and I will critique it very honestly and go through it and say what I see is missing. And I will compare it to what's happening in the marketplace so that you get a feel for how your book will fit in with other books. I think that's so great, which is actually going to bring me to another question. Um, Mm -hmm. You actually edited something like 35 plus books and you ghost wrote five books last year. And you also wrote your own first book, which is amazing. But I have a (laughs) I'm curious because I want to hear about the book. But I also know that you're an editor, like you're very good at that. You're naturally gifted in that area. I can't edit my own stuff. Like I have a really hard time with that. So how do you as an editor, write your first book without being overly critical, being Mm -hmm. confident in what you're doing? And letting go of that editor in you. (laughs) Yeah. So I would say that the need for me to get that out was more important to me than the time it would take for me to be anal about it. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So to me, it's where your value is at the time. The other thing is that I'm not afraid to be edited. You have to be edited. I have very good editor friends and they helped. They just edited my work, gave me suggestions and just helped me even flesh out some of the things I was saying, you know, and make sure that I was clear. So my book was edited by someone and I'm grateful for that. I will not myself ever skip that step. So I have a writer mind and I have an editor mind. When I'm writing, my editor mind is turned off. (laughs) So You know, and I, I guess I've, you know, that's something that I've learned to do, but I write, I've, and I've also always written since I was a very young child. I've written, I've journaled. So I understand the writing process. Editing came along after once I was in college and even understanding the value of editing happened probably once I started my first job as a copy editor. I remember I was uh, writing for a newspaper, the college newspaper And I had one of my pieces edited and I went up there and I was, oh, this is so embarrassing. This is such an embarrassing story. Oh, you go. Tell us. (laughs) I I was so mad that I was edited and I went to the editor in chief or someone went up to the um, 
I guess the office that we worked out of. And I said, oh my, you know, please. I said exactly what I wanted to say. I do not want to be edited. It's the grammar is fine. This is fine. You know, so I went kind of, I was so prideful. I hated, oh, I hate even thinking about that. But I was just so mad that they edited my work and it was actually better. And at that point, I had a mentor who told me, you didn't write this well. You, it's, your writing is stilted. You're not following the right form for a news article. So yeah, they had every right to edit you. And I was like, oh my goodness. So I definitely put my foot in my mouth and felt completely embarrassed about that. But I remember thinking about that once I became an editor, you know, I was mortified that I even was that person. I'm so grateful that you shared that, though. So did you actually, like, chew out the person that was editing you? I chewed them out in the way that I would chew someone out. So hopefully it wasn't too bad. I wrote an email. So it was an email. Yeah. A writer's tool? Yeah. I can be pretty chewy-outy. Okay. So I have to be careful. (laughs) Okay. All right. That's good. (laughs) But yeah, I was edited on that book and it it turned out, I think it turned out wonderfully. So you didn't like fire them right away. You stuck with that group. Oh, oh, what do you mean? I'm sorry. You're talking about the newspaper? Well, whoever edited you, did you stick with them? Oh, back in college? Yeah. Yes, I did. Because what happened was I chewed them out first. Then I went to my mentor and said, can you believe that they edited me? And he said, yes, I can. And so I was corrected and I stayed with them and changed the way I wrote my articles. Okay. Yeah, I had to. And I apologized. Yeah. That to me is eating a big piece of humble pie. And I think that takes more courage even than presenting a book proposal to somebody. But to to go (laughs) back and say, I apologize and help me. That's great. Yeah, I had to really just say, I apparently am dumb and do not know what I'm doing. Please (laughs) forgive me. I'm so young and so stupid. Uh, I feel like I I say that a lot uh, now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that was good. And I did learn a lot by going back and just being quiet and learning is so important. That was a really, really important time in my life. Oh, I'm so grateful that you shared that story. I think that on some level, there's all of us can relate to the idea of having been a little prideful about our work, having gotten our feathers a little ruffled by somebody else's opinion. But then in the end, it's just kind of coming around and understanding that really what's going on is that the people that we're working with want to see us successful. They want to help us be successful because that's not just for us. That's for them, too. So we're all on this dream team, like you call it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, John, I wanted to jump into our conference for just a second, because this year, our theme is warrior. And I am sure that you have experienced it, kind of that spiritual warfare that happens when you're working really hard on something and you're passionate and you deeply believe in it. And you feel like God is about to move a mountain and then suddenly everything that can go wrong will. Yes, I just wonder, you know, we want to stand up against that. We want to say, you know, not to be cliche, but it's sort of a not today Satan kind of an attitude. Yeah. And so I'm asking all of the guests on the show, what does being a warrior mean to you? You know, I think a warrior is someone who is humbly strong and fights valiantly for what they love, believe in, and they don't give up. Ever. 
I pause at each thing there because there is this thing too about a warrior who knows when the fight is worth it. One of the things that made such a big difference in my life that I just still repeat to myself is <laughs> I was kind of like growing up, especially in my teen years, you know, we have this uh, almost like this rebel without a cause type attitude thing going on sometimes. And my mom would just kind of stop me here and there and say, Javon, you need to choose your battles, you know? And I think a warrior is one who knows what battle to fight and what things to lay down. And the battles that they do fight are absolutely worth it. And they win. A warrior wins and a warrior is recognized for their wins. I'm thinking of, you know, seeing a warrior who has fought long and hard coming back into a town to a big celebration. People know the risks that they took. They know the sacrifices that they paid to, you know, outside looking in, obviously, no one knows more than a warrior knows. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's such a hard-won victory, but it was worth it. It was worth every tear, every scar, every prayer, every um, disappointment along the way, because uh, a warrior wins a war, I would say. So I guess, you know, we're looking at different battles and things that go on in between that. Sometimes you lose. Um, And I think losing in the right way makes a good warrior as well. Failing in the right way, dealing with rejection in the right way makes an incredible warrior. That's a really profound statement. Yeah, I think that's what it is to me because it's the strength, I guess, that's gained through the battle that makes a warrior. But ultimately, a warrior wins. (laughs) A warrior is a winner. And so any advice for women warriors on this writing path looking to get published who have not yet experienced the win? Mm, Yes, I believe in a few things. Number one, don't be afraid to nurture what you need to be creative. Set your environment, set boundaries. Don't be afraid of that. Pursue it unapologetically because what's going to happen is there are people around you who just don't understand and they're not going to be there for your losses. You know, they may be there for your wins, but they're not going to be there for your losses So it's very important that you protect that creative space. The next thing I would say is persistence. Do not give up. Alter, adjust, learn, be teachable, revise, try again. That's all okay. But giving up in this type of a thing doesn't work. You will definitely not get a yes giving up. That's true. (laughs) Some people it it takes 10 years, 15 years, you know, on one book, book. You know, I've worked with authors or heard stories where they really were working on one book for 10 years. It doesn't mean that there wasn't other things happening, but sometimes, you know, you know, this is the one or this is it. This is what I am here to do. And you don't give up on that ever. Um, So persistence is very important. I love what you said about persistence. I had a author say at a conference once that everybody who wants to write a book should take out a piece of paper and number it one to a hundred. Mm -hmm. And then you got to check off every no that you get because you're not Mm -hmm. getting a yes until you've passed that 100 no's, Mark. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I probably wouldn't be able to put a number on it, but you might as well strap in for the long haul and it's okay to do that. Sometimes you get a yes faster than you realize, but I think that's where the surprise lies. That's where it's really lovely and wonderful, but definitely strap in. I love that. I was going to say one more thing 
And that is, I said it at the beginning, so I'm just going to repeat it again. Make sure you have your your core people, your core supporters, your inner core people you can go to. Even if it's, you know, some people, some writers have writers groups that are like family to them. You know, some people it is family. Some people it is a good friend or you want to be surrounded by people who really understand what you're doing and, and will help you and support you. Yeah, that's great. I love what you said about that. And then you said earlier that some people might be with you for the wins, but they're not with you for the losses. I feel like yeah. it's the people that are with you for the losses that is a big clue as to who your inner yeah, people are. Absolutely. Well, Javon, I have just been enjoying this conversation so much. And I want to make sure that everyone knows that if they go to your website and sign up for your email list, then they'll get a free copy of your ebook, which is Get yes. Published, Seven Secrets to Getting Your Manuscript Accepted. Absolutely. Yes. And I will be teaching from that book as well uh, at the Writers' Conference. Lots more detail at Declare. Yes. So and that's so great. That. And I just want to go ahead and say, too, that your website is so full of crazy good information. I mean, you've yes. got great stories. You've got you know, all about literary agents and publishers and checklists. And I mean, it is just chock full. So I hope everybody's going to go to your site. I'm going to go ahead and put the link to it on our show notes. But I just wanted to say thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your gift so freely and your knowledge and your wisdom. Thanks for coming on the show today. I know this was your first podcast, and I just feel so grateful that you picked us. And I can't wait to hear more of all of the greatness that you're bringing at Declare. Thank you so much. It was such an honor. I'm grateful. And I look forward to meeting you and everyone else at the conference. Yeah, we can't wait. (laughs) All right, we'll see you in October. If you are thinking about writing a book, I really hope that you're going to go ahead and check out Javon's website. She is like the best friend that you know you need for fleshing out this idea, writing a book proposal that's going to matter to acquisitions editors, and she's got so much wisdom and free resources and all kinds of stuff on there. Plus, if you sign up for her email, then you're going to go ahead and get a free copy of her ebook, which is called Get Published, Seven Secrets to Getting Your Manuscript Accepted. We can all write a great book proposal, but if it isn't accepted, then what's the point? So go ahead and sign up for her email list. Her link to her website is on our show notes. Also, she's going to be at Declare this year. So if you want to pick her brain or soak in more of her wisdom, get your ticket today. Don't forget to tell us what you thought of this episode. Please go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast while you're there. Let us know if you want to partner with us as a sponsor. Send an email to info at wearedeclare.com. Don't forget to get your ticket to our conference. Y'all, it's coming up quick. And we have a pre-conference now that you are going to fall in love with. And then if you are not yet connected to our Facebook community, then go ahead and do that today too. You're going to love these women. They are the greatest encouragers and supporters I have ever seen in my entire life. Well, we really hope that every episode of the Declare podcast inspires and encourages you. Thank you so much for always listening. We will see you next time on the Declare podcast.